there. Welcome to the History Obscura Reading Room, which has recently been on an impromptu hiatus thanks to a rather blustery hurricane. Never fear, all is well here at the estate. Every lycoy and underling is accounted for and making the appropriate preparations for All Hallows' Eve. Failing another display of the gods' wrath, we will be sharing a special episode on Saturday, October 31st. As for tonight's episode, this will be the last official episode in Season 1. Please enjoy. Once upon a time, during China's Tang Dynasty between the 7th and 10th centuries, a new industry was born. It began in the Yangtze province, where artisans began mixing a special white clay with ground, feldspar-rich granite to create their plates, jugs, and tableware. The gleaming bluish-gray pieces of porcelain, or china, were developed by mixing, shaping, and then baking the clay and rock powder at high temperatures. A recipe for the strongest and most beautiful fine porcelain was perfected in Yangtze over the 8th and 9th centuries, and these wares were of the highest quality in all Asia. Some are known to have been used at the Chinese court. Others were sent to neighboring courts as diplomatic gifts, while still more were sold and exchanged in large trading cities. At the Abbasid court in Iraq, they inspired poetry comparing them to the luster of a pearl or of the moon. It was not until the Yuan Dynasty that Chinese porcelain came to more closely resemble the fine china we see today, with its thin lines and delicate edges. Known as hard paste porcelain, these pieces were so durable and aesthetically pleasing that they began to be sold as far afield as Europe. Still. The art form was fine-tuned over the passing centuries, culminating in priceless Chinese porcelain artworks and plateware, found in museums all over the world today. The word China became synonymous with the most fashionable, elegant porcelain in Asia, the Middle East, and Europe. Some of that highly desired China found its way all the way to England, where it was not only prized, but it was the cause of a not insignificant amount of envy. English potters and engravers, such as Thomas Fry, eventually tried their hand at making something similar. In 1748, Thomas Fry wondered what might happen to the standard porcelain mixture if he added powdered cow and oxen bones from the slaughterhouses of Essex. Fry owned the Bow Porcelain Factory in East London, and when he put his idea into practice there, 
The result was extraordinary. Not only was this porcelain strong and fine, but it was so white it was translucent. The formula Fry created was very soon perfected by Josiah Spode II, who calcinized the animal bone by burning it at extremely high temperatures, causing it to become pure white. Spode's method, commercialized in 1796, is still used today. We call it bone china, and this type of porcelain became very popular for its translucent appearance and higher durability compared to other types of porcelain. Bone china was made only in England for 200 years. These cups, saucers, serving plates and decorative items were whiter and brighter than ever with impossibly delicate designs and the strength to hold up without chipping during regular use. They contained between 30 and 50% burned animal bone mixed directly into the clay. Now, if you hold up a piece of bone china to a light and place your hand behind it, you should be able to see the outline of your hand. That characteristic is known as the porcelain's transparency. Go on and give it a try. Bone china also makes a unique and beautiful sound if you flick the edge of a cup or plate just right with your fingernail or another piece of bone china. Two or more pieces together make a beautiful tinkling sound. Here, I'll show you. This is a cup and saucer. It's labeled Coal Cloth, made in England, Bone China P3. Came from my dear great-grandmother. Now listen what happens when I touch my fingernail to the edge of the cup. Isn't that lovely? Now here's a standard porcelain cup and saucer. It's without a brand name and a mark, but it does the trick when guests come by and I don't want them touching my nice things. Listen what happens when I make the same movement on this. Hear it? A little clunkier. And I cannot see through the dish. It takes practice, of course. Well, today, the largest producer of bone china is, indeed, China. The country having reclaimed its reputation as the region with the most skillful and talented clay workers. Just as it was over 1,000 years ago, these delicate pieces are made mostly in the Yangtze province. A multitude of ancient Chinese porcelain pieces are still in use mostly as decorative vases and artworks. There are some of the most sought-after artifacts in the world, having originated in China. In fact, a Qing Dynasty porcelain vase sold for $84 million in US currency, making it the most expensive Chinese porcelain art ever known. Still, Victorian English tea sets and decorative pieces continue to have a hold on the imagination, 
and antique pieces are constantly being collected, traded, and even restored. According to the Victoria and Albert Museum, bone china and other types of porcelain can be easily maintained and cared for by, to quote, handling pieces as little as possible, thinking ahead, and using common sense. Now, if you find the right sort of artist, you can have your own bones turned into a teacup. You see, much like the rag and bone men of Victorian Britain, modern dealers collect discarded bones to resell to interested parties. These, however, are not, at least usually, meant to be turned into soup. Today's bone dealers take unused bones from corpses that have been donated to science and sell them to hospitals, medical schools, or collectors. In rare cases, these human bones are sold to bone china artisans. One such dealer had a box of unsellable fragments, broken and deteriorating bones that he had little hope of offloading. Fortunately for the bones, and for the bone merchant, they were both about to meet a man named Justin Crow. Crow, an artist and potter in New Mexico, the United States, felt the unloved box of bones was exactly what he had been looking for. He purchased the 200 fragments. Crow then pulverized the bones into a fine powder and used it in his potter's glaze recipe. The finished product was a collection of beautiful white and blue tinted plates, cups, bowls, mugs, and whiskey glasses, which he then used to host a rather unorthodox dinner party. He served pork, knowing full well that pig flesh has been compared to human meat, in an attempt to juxtapose the dinnerware with the dinner itself. Since then, Crow's skills have been in high demand, so much so that he is now the creator of bespoke bone china dishware, urns, and candle holders crafted with the ashes of deceased humans. His clients love their special pieces, but of course not everyone likes the idea. Says Crow, I've had people threaten me and tell me they are having me investigated. Or, they've quoted the Bible and told me I'm going to hell. Well, if you are going to hell, Mr. Crow, I suspect you shall be in fine company. Do try not to worry. Oh, and thank you again. Thank you for joining me, friends, for tonight's episode and for every episode this year. I can't believe 2020 has passed us by nearly already. And I look very much forward to creating Season 2 starting in the new year. Stay tuned for the Halloween special and any updates concerning the Patreon. It's been a pleasure. Good night. Do you like lore, legend, mythology, folk tales, or fairy tales, and the philosophy that might be behind some of them? Well, if you do, 
you should check out Lauren Legends podcast. Lauren Legends explores humanity's past, present, and future through the lens of lore and legends built up by dominant cultures like ancient Egypt, Greece, and more forgotten and ignored groups like the Native Americans or tribal Africans, as well as modern myths, legends, and phenomena from Bigfoot to UFOs to psychic powers and even religions. So check out Lore and Legends wherever you get your podcast.